This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Episode 2 of Game Time, we are talking about, of course, the opening weekend of the Premier League fixtures. Tim and Ryan on this one. Ryan, how you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. Very well indeed, Tim. How are you doing? My dreams have been crushed. Ah, oh, don't worry, mate. They'll be crushed a lot more over the season. Um, of, course, of course, we'll be talking about all the uh, the fixtures over the weekend, a couple of uh, highlights and then some talking points at the end. Why not start it with how the Premier League kicked off this season? Liverpool kicking things off at Anfield against Norwich. 4-1, a, a pretty dominant scoreline. I don't think it was as dominant as the score suggested. Not sure if either of you caught that one, but but what did you think of the game? I mean, I saw most of it. Um, Norwich were just very unlucky. I think they were a bit naive with their defending. Um, and as soon as you let players like Salah and Firmino in, they're going to punish you. But it's sort of the, the, the good reply from Norwich in the second half, and they did all right against, you know, the champions of Europe. So I wouldn't say all hope is lost from the first game of the season, but they just need to get a bit tighter and a bit uh, start a bit quicker out of the out of the blocks. Ryan, do you share the same thoughts? Um, I think it's a really good indication of sort of like the step up between the championship and the premiership. Um, I think Norwich, like I say, didn't play too badly. Liverpool took their chances and got, like, for example, the Salah goal was a bit fortunate. It sort of seemed to rebound off everybody's legs and then like landed straight to him. Um, but yeah, I think Norwich are right. I think if they play like that against a team maybe lower down in the division, they'll be fine. Um, and I'm fair play to them for like having a go. That's how they play. Like, they're not going to turn up and just uh, sort of like look to get a nil-nil draw they're not really built to do that so it's good to see them like carrying over their style of play from the championship it's just obviously they just come up against really good really good opposition so yeah I think there's a lot of positives I think Liverpool played well enough when they needed to I think Klopp admitted after the hour mark they sort of tired and they were sort of not up to speed so yeah, I think it was good. It's good outing for both of them, sort of Norwich to get back in the Premiership, and then obviously for Liverpool to sort of start off with a really convincing win. I, I thought it was convincing. What made it sound like you? Uh, what made you think, sorry, Danny, that you think Liverpool weren't convincing? I think exactly what you said there. Norwich aren't a team that are just going to change all of their morals and all their beliefs and, and just sit back and park the bus for a nil-nil draw. But I thought they caused Liverpool a lot more problems than Liverpool really should have been caused, if that makes sense. I was I was watching the game um, before and then I, I listened to it on the radio as I was as I was driving down. And, and it felt like Trent Alexander-Arnold, for all the, the work that he does going forward and he got an assist in that game, it felt like his name consistently kept cropping up with players getting in behind him. And, and Timu Puki's goal was a very good finish and... The fact that I think he scored with his first shot on target of the season for like the last three years, I think I heard a stat, which is pretty impressive. Um, 
it wasn't great defending. Like he was just letting they just switched off from a throw in, and and I feel like against better teams, especially the likes of City, who we'll probably get onto in a little bit, who are way way more um, focused in that forward movement and solid and solid defensively, I should say. I think they might struggle, but of course, it was only the first game of the season, so you can't take too much from that. But I thought Norwich were naive in the first half. Um, I think they bucked up their ideas in the second. And they won the second half, and that's all you can ask for. Um, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I think, um, as you said, we'll get on to City later. I think they're still Liverpool and City are still comfortably the best two teams, judging on this uh, weekend, judging on um, the results and the performances I saw. Um, I think they're still the best two teams, or the top two teams to beat in the league, anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was it was quite impressive from both teams in a way, even though Norwich, like I say, got beat four-one, but they at least they stuck to their guns. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think, like you said, against uh, the smaller teams in the league and maybe um, a couple of other teams in the league, I think they'll actually do very, very well. I think I've still tipped them to go down, but they'll they'll do all right. They'll do all right, no doubt. Um, yeah, we mentioned Man City there, so let's, let's move on to that. I'm going to be completely honest with you. There is not one part of this game that I did not see. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant sense, I literally saw every single angle from every single possible option from that game <laughs> working today. So please, you guys talk about it because I don't want to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're just really good, aren't they, City? They're, and like Sterling's just, he's going to have another brilliant season where he's like top scorer and top assists and he's so good. Um, I see, you know, it's not really a surprise that they were of how good they were because of how we've seen them last year. But I think West Ham were a little bit poor and sort of didn't. They knew what they were going to get with City, don't they? They've seen them for the last two years play quick football, you know, really attacking and silly little fouls and stuff. And they, you know, they knew exactly what they were getting. City just played like City and West Ham didn't really cope with it. But um, I think the one positive for them is that I think Haller played sort of all right as a sort of target man. But um, they've got maybe a bit of work to do but again it's really difficult when you come and your first game of the season is against City so I suppose it gets easier from there um, but it's not even the biggest talking point the biggest talking point of that game was VAR and how it ruled out a goal for, that was a millimetre offside yes indeed and as I said I saw every angle of that I had to watch that VAR replay from every single camera available at that stadium <laughs> I think I saw that VAR replay about 15 times today incredibly tight we had a bit of a conversation about it on the facebook group over the weekend um ryan i'll come to you first because i think i said something like var oh my god it's bloody awful which you correctly said it got all the decisions right yes it got all the decisions right do you think it it violates the spirit of the game a little bit <laughs> violates the spirit what a what a charge um uh no because I, I don't think coming from a position of being like obviously we've talked about this before where Tottenham historically have been on the uh, and pretty much any team to be fair not just Tottenham they've been on the end of a few shocking decisions I'd rather it be like this like everything to be checked and and sort of like to be double checked to make sure everything's right than for whatever reason like Roy Carroll fumbling the ball over his line from a shot from the halfway line or whatever a penalty being given in the last minute because someone's fallen over their own feet something like that like I'd I'd rather it see like this 
I know it's sort of to the letter of the law now where he's literally about four millimetres offside, but it's the same with goal line technology. And people didn't really have the sort of like the problem with it last year. Like, obviously, there was a big thing about the lead title being decided by the the John Stones clearance off the line and stuff. But that's what it's there for. So if he's offside, he's offside in my book. And like I say, the VAR got everything right. And also, I was very impressed with how quick it was. I was reading an article earlier. Basically, it was talking about the um, sort of like all of the events that VAR looked at over the all of the games from the weekend. And I think the average check time was about 60 seconds, which was really, really good. So, yeah, I, I think it was a positive. Like the, you're always going to get some people saying like, oh, well, it's it's taking it too far. But I think it's positive overall. So, yeah, I was very happy, very happy with how it was implemented in the first um, weekend. I think it's, it's only going to get quicker as well, isn't it? And the technology is going to get better um, it's literally the first game in the first season it's being used or, or right, the first week of the first season it's being used so it's only going to get better and I think for those black and white decisions like offside and, and goal line technology and all that sort of stuff like it is black and white you're offside or you're not and if it yeah. disrupts the game then fine but it is offside and it's none of this I don't, I don't like it when people are like well you know what does a millimetre matter it's like well it's offside you can't check it on VAR and then say oh it was only a sort of a little bit close so we're going to leave it you're offside or you're not um, there can't be like a boundary of you know half a metre where you get given the benefit of the doubt um, mm. and, and just get given a bit of leeway because that's stupid you don't get do, yeah you don't get that on goal like technology or anything it's a goal or it's not um, so whether players like it or not it, it's it's there and it's it's a fact that they were offside like Raheem Sterling was offside by the smallest of margins which means the goal doesn't count um, and I think there's a lot of work for it to be done where it's sort of you know the referee then has to make a judgement on pitch for fouls or, or, or all sorts of stuff and that can be sort of decided maybe next season uh, when, when we've had it for a while but I mean players are going to be unhappy with it but then the people on the other side of it are going to be loving it like Man City fans were all distraught when he was offside, but then you could see the West Ham fans cheer when they got the decision to go their way, and they loved it. So I think it does add atmosphere to a game in sort of a different way that we haven't really seen before. I, 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 it does make me laugh because I thought like the West Ham fans that were cheering, they I think they'd seriously believe that the comeback was on. <laughs> like they were sort of oh, it's not three nil, it's two nil, it's fine, we can still we can still win. Um, yeah, but yeah, I do. I, th- I think it's been better implemented in the Premiership than it was at the World Cup, like the Women's World Cup this summer and also the Men's World Cup the year before. Um, like, for example, I know there was a um, a handball shout in the Tottenham game where Alderweireld like, basically skewed one up in the air and it hit, um, I think it was Douglas Louise, I hit him on the arm from about four yards away and it was, and like my first thing when I saw it, I thought, well, that'll get given as a penalty because of my experience from VAR last year in the Champions League and in the World Cups. But, um, actually it's more of a common sense thing now where like something if a ball gets drilled at a player's hand and he's like two yards away then they're not going to give penalties otherwise you would get about 15 penalties a game and I think that's what was letting VAR down before so it's good to see that that's there's, they're taking some common sense element into it which is which is a positive for me the rules have changed on handball though haven't they um, and it, it, it's sort of the like natural silhouette sort of thing if your hand isn't in a natural position yeah not from two yards two yards away but if it's a little bit further away and your hands in an unnatural position then it it can be given as a penalty i don't know whether var is actually gonna check that or not or whether it's gonna leave that for a bit and it's up to the referee's discretion but that can make it a bit more interesting we could see a few more penalties like we did in the world cup 
Yeah, but I don't really want that though, personally. I want it to be accurate, but I don't want it to be giving away like four or five penalties a game. Yeah. Because then, like I say, that's just, it defeats the point of it there. The, the whole the whole wording with the, the FA this last week or so, it's the whole idea of it's got to be a clear and obvious error by the referee or the linesman. So it's got to be like however many um, sort of like a really bad tackle that gets missed or sort of like a really bad offside decision or like a really bad handball. Um, I thought the Wolves one was pretty harsh, but again, looking like the disallowed goal, the Dendonka one, but then looking at the rules, it says any use of the arm, whether intentional or not, it's no goal. So it's like, okay, well, fair enough. You know the rules, move on then. Yeah, and I thought um, Nuno was really good in the post-match press conference as well because he was asked about it and he didn't complain about the decision whatsoever. He did say, oh, it was a bit annoying that it took a little bit of time and it was a bit annoying that... Uh, the other fans cheered it because that's not something you normally see in football. But at the be- at the end of the day, it's the beginning of the it's the beginning of the day. It's it's just started. It will get better. We will give it time, and it will be fine. And I thought that was like a a very mature response from a manager who is actually very very good at being quite eloquent. Whereas I imagine if it was Neil Warnock, he'd just be absolutely raving his head off. Yeah, I think it does depend on the you know, the manager and how how calm they are or. Uh, or how yeah, how angry they are. I think it's probably weighed on by other decisions about how your team played as well. Like, uh, you know, Wolves Wolves got a draw out of it. If it's Neil Warnock and Cardiff, uh, they're probably losing five nil. He's complaining, saying that's why they lost the game. I think you'll find Timothy that that um, Leicester beat Cardiff. Uh, Cardiff beat Leicester one nil at the King Power last year, so you might want to redact that. Ah, oh, damn. Oh well. My point stands, though. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, one thing that I did want to say before we move on from uh, the VAR-filled game, uh, Pep said City weren't at their best in the first half, few misplaced passes. The fact that they can still win 5-0 away from home when they're not at their best is very, very scary and why I believe they probably will at a canter win uh, win the Premier League this year. But um, yeah, Mike Dean was at the centre of the best VAR sort of controversial game of the day and the best shots of him were giving a no-look yellow card to Raheem Sterling and explaining fervently to Declan Rice why his encroachment was there, which I thought was quite funny. (laughs) Well, you can't you, you can you can't take the Hollywood out of the bloke, can you? He has to be there to do it. You cannot, indeed. Uh, speaking of Hollywood, Manchester United absolutely lambasted Chelsea four uh, nil in a game that very easily could have been very very different. Uh, we'll go for the Timothy angle on this. Tim, hard, hard done by, I reckon you'd probably say. Yeah, I'm not as I'm not as angry as I could be, or I'm not as upset as I could be. Purely because I think we did play quite well. We had more possession and more sort of chances created. Not saying that Man United didn't deserve to win because the four goals he scored were from horrendous defending mistakes. Um, the penalty and sort of Daniel James's goal, which is just a simple ball over the top that, you know, is pathetic defending. But, you know, we, there, were, there were definitely positives. And considering that's our youngest Premier League eleven for like, eight years or something stupid. Like it's one of the youngest teams we've ever played. I think it it's only gets better from here. Um, and we just got outdone a little bit and Rashford played well, Martial played well because they were just quick and got in behind the defence. And that's something that we can fix. And, you know, Zuma's first game back for, for Chelsea in a really long time and Christensen really hasn't played very much. So it's about getting the defence minutes and sort of, you know, getting back into the flow of it under a new manager. And, 
We've got players to come back as well after injury. Uh, Rudiger should come back and sort of slot into the team for one of the two. And then Reese James, who I'm incredibly excited for, for several reasons. Because as sad as I am about it, Aspilicueta really is declining quite hard now. And he needs to be replaced. I love him. And he's a great guy to have around and the club captain. But he's really slow and he does not suit right back very well. So I'm extremely excited for Reese James to come in and hopefully get sort of five players regularly playing um, in the defence together and they might sort of shore up a little bit but they were definitely positive to take out, take out a bit and uh, Jose Mourinho was completely wrong when he criticised Mason Mount after the game Okay, Can I just add my two cents in on Chelsea as well? First of all, Tim, that is a really, really impressive list of excuses. There's a lot. There's like seven. There's like seven in there, so it's really good. I've got to try. Um, I've got to try. Yeah. Um, just one thing. I was talking to um, Manchester a friend of mine about this the other day. Um, I feel like this could be a really good sort of move from Solskjaer if if Man United realise that they play best on the count uh, the counter attack. I feel like they are a counter-attacking team now, and I know that comes with a certain stigma sometimes with teams sort of like playing, sitting there and waiting for their chances and and um, sort of like breaking and whatever, and, and maybe it's not the way that Man United fans want their teams to play, but if they want to be successful this year, they'll have to do it. So they haven't really got a choice, to be honest. I, I just thought, I'd, from what I saw, they looked really good on the counter-attack, and like I said, they do need to keep that up as a, as a tactic, otherwise if they start playing, like sort of trying to link 40 50 pass moves together and have an 85 percent possession then i feel like they'll have a, a sort of like a go go backwards a bit in this in this sort of like progress but yeah i think it was very positive from man united very impressed but again it's just one game isn't it yes very true we've got some fast fast boys up top and uh and harry Maguire had a pretty solid debut as did aaron wambasaka who could literally tackle anything. He could tackle a brick wall. Um, let, let's move things on to Spurs before we, we come to the end of this mini-pod. Uh, turn things around against Aston Villa. Quite surprised to see them 1-0 uh, down at half-time. Ryan, I imagine you probably watched more of the game than either Tim or I. What, what did you make of it? Um, it's, it's a case of just sort of what happens when you leave your most creative player on the bench and then what happens when you then bring your most creative player off the bench. Um, yeah, it, I thought they were very slow and ponderous first off. It reminded me actually of the first few games of um, Andre Bias Boas being in charge back in about 2012 when we were sort of like just moving the ball left to right with no real intent. Um, and it was a lot like that. Obviously, Villa scored. It was a pretty good goal. I'm still questioning whether or not Davinson Sanchez can really go up against the more physical centre forwards in the Premiership because he did seem to be sort of bullied a bit by Wesley who looked good on debut um, but yeah I thought afterwards Villa looked a bit tired after the 60th minute I don't think they had a, a proper shot on target in the in the second half or definitely not past the hour mark and it's just one of the things where like fitness sort of played a part at the end which I, I'm glad to see we've still kept the sort of fitness levels up because we're sort of renowned for being one of the most um, sort of physically fit teams in the Premiership. So yeah, it's just one of the things. It's uh, it's just sort of really just trying to grind out results. And I was never too concerned when we got the equaliser. I thought, okay, we'll probably go and win this now, which was probably the thought of most people watching it. But yeah, it's just one of those things where we need to sort Ericsson either the contracts we need to make sure that he is being sold for a fee or he's signing a new contract which looks unlikely or we can try and bring someone like Lacelso in to take his place because we looked very toothless without him one man who wasn't toothless and Dombele great strike for a debut goal though 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of the things sort of came out afterwards. Pochettino said he only played like 30, 40% to his potential, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> good because I can't wait to see him on a good day. Um, but yeah, he's one of those players, again, a bit like... I remember the first time I saw Berbatov play for Spurs about 12, 13 years ago now, and he was sort of like controlling the ball with his first and like picking the ball out of the sky. And obviously, you know that from watching him at United, Danny. And and, and Dombele was like doing stuff that I'd not seen someone do like to that level of skill since maybe Berbatov or Dembele, like in terms of like the way he was holding people off and he was like knocking balls around the corner. He was like picking three passes. Like he wasn't even looking and he knew where people were. And it was, yeah, it was really good. He, he looks like a, a real, real asset, which is good for going forward. So yeah, hopefully like I say, we can keep him fit. He looked like he was limping towards the end of the game, which is a bit of annoyance because obviously we've got Man City next week. But yeah, overall, I think it was one of those games where you just get in, you get a result and then we'll see you next week sort of thing. So yeah, very, very pleased from the, about the 45th minute onwards I think I think I've made a serious mistake from from last week of putting Spurs fifth um, I'm now regretting this because they look <laughs> really good and that was before they fight, they uh, signed Lo Celso and Sessegnon so I, I'm a bit worried now that I, that's going to come back to buy me because I think they looked pretty good and they should have quite a good season no Tim I hope so, go, yeah. I hope so. But you've got to go balls to the walls you stand by your decisions <laughs> I am with most um, of them, but I just I take it back on Spurs. He takes it back after week one. Uh, yep. Before we wrap this up, uh, a mixed week for the Game Time podcast results. Manchester United and Spurs winning uh, a loss for... Chelsea and a one-all draw from Bournemouth and Sheffield United will hear Tom's thoughts on the preview pod coming out on Thursday. Um, before we end, Brighton won. Get in there, Tim. They're not finishing bottom. <laughs> Just you wait. Str- absolutely uh, dominant performance against Watford. Um, and before we leave it, as always, we finish with some talking points. Uh, first one I've got. Uh, well, so, you know, in, in the transfer window, a lot of teams like to sort of scout players out and think, right, what what roles do we need filling and who can we bring in? Uh, Reading have gone for a different approach and gone for, we're going to bring in people with uh, the most famous names in football. So they've signed uh, Inter Milan, former Inter Milan striker, uh, George Puskas and Pele from Nottingham Forest. <laughs> so, I mean, solid so signings. They've gone for a slightly different approach. <laughs> yeah, they've done well. Um, I'm not sure how effective they're going to be, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, they lost the first match quite badly. Um, and the only other one I've got is, I don't know if people on Twitter probably will have seen this because it's going around quite a bit. There's a, a Twitter page called uh, Out of Context Football. Uh, it's at No Footy Context if you want to see it. Love and it. If you want to go and look at it. And it's pretty much just, clip, well, it's a little, like it says, like clips of weird things that happen on a football pitch with no context and no comment at all. And the one I've just been shared on my timeline from um, someone called Gaz Neville, who is not Gary Neville, I can assure <laughs> you, um, it's just been recommended, uh, is a picture of, and I genuinely don't know anyone in this because it's out of context, of just a guy in a black, a footballer in like a black shirt with sort of black and white stripes on it. And then the, what I think is the physio, but might be a bit of a sex offender. The, the player's <laughs> bent down, the physio's got his shorts, pulled them down, and is spraying some weird white gas thing down his shorts. 
<laughs> it's really creepy, and we'll put it on Twitter afterwards to have a look. But it's so funny. It just popped up. So go and follow Out of Context Football for random crap like that. Oh, well, I look forward to uh, to finding that one because I do follow them. So I'll see what comes up with that. I think it... it... I think it was from uh, a couple of weeks ago in July, but I'll, I'll share it on our Twitter feed and you can go and have a look. Please do. The one thing I want to bring to the table, don't know if either of you saw this, over in old Mexico, uh, Andre Pierre Gignac, who plays for Tigres, was serenaded by a live mariachi band before the match as he became Tigres' top scorer. He scored 105 goals in four years there at the Mexican club. What a lad. scored three goals in the next 20 minutes as well. He did, yes. He then scored a hat trick in twenty minutes. That's the that's the bonus of having a mariachi band. It gives you unknown confidence. You play like a superhero. <laughs> that mariachi band plus five shooting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I thought was great. Which led me to to think about players in the current ilk of the Premier League who are close to breaking top scorer. Glenn Murray is fourteen goals off being Brighton's all time top scorer. If he oh, that'll well, get fucking uh, broke this season, then won't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so I'm just I googled uh, bands from Brighton the most famous band the Kooks so I'm looking forward to the Kooks serenading uh, Glenn Murray who probably doesn't know who they are to be honest uh, at the Amex Stadium next season I don't know the Kooks would have been in their prime when he was probably about 25 so it's not not the most unreasonable shout a load of lifestyle YouTubers to go down to the Amex before his last match yes do it. I love. I want to. I want to go to the Amex. It's a. It's a very nice looking stadium. But we digress massively. Uh, that is the end of this little mini pod of a review from the weekend. Uh, we left out a few games mainly because we didn't have time to talk about them. Um, so on to next week Thursday. Yeah. Sorry, 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 Palace and Everton fans, but it was fucking boring. <laughs> Only one thing happened, and it was Morgan Schneiderlin's red card, and we just talked about it. So done. Yes. Right. We will be back on Thursday with Tom for the preview episode. Tim, thank you very much. Thank you. Ryan, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. And we will speak to you slash listened by you on Thursday. Don't know where I'm going with this sentence. Game time underscore pod on Twitter if you ever want to ask us any questions. Leave a like and review on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever you listen to us on. But until Thursday, speak to you later.